always, always uh, stuck in my mind. So we're missing, we're missing the roughs, uh, the Espinosas, the Browns, half the Porterfields, <laughs> and uh, we're missing uh, Sister Rhonda. Um, I know some will be here probably a little later. Um, so let's remember those that are sick. I know the the Browns are sick and the Espinosas are sick as well. So let's remember them. And uh, remember my wife, she's not feeling well this morning. Um, but uh, we'll have a word of prayer real quick before we get started in Sunday school. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds as we look into your word this morning. Uh, that you would be open and attentive to hear the words that you would have us to, to apply to our lives, that we might uh, use it for our service to you. Or we ask that you'd help us to be an example and a uh, light before others in this community, Lord, and we pray that you give us the opportunity to, to share your word more freely. Lord, we ask that you would be with our country and our nation, Lord, and uh, the state of this world. We just we acknowledge that things are uh, darker in these days, but we place our trust and our hope in you. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless our time together, Lord, and um, that you'd be with us as we go as we go to our homes today and as we come back safely the next time we meet. Cross and we pray. Amen. So this morning, uh, we won't follow our traditional Acts Sunday school, um, but I thought we would look at John 13. John chapter 13. I want us to think about um, how do others know uh, that that we have that we are disciples of Christ. So John chapter 13 and verse 31 says, So when we had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, and God will not also glorify him him and himself and glorify him immediately little children i say be with you a, a little while longer you will seek me and as i have said to the jews where i am going you cannot come so now i say to you a new commandment i give to you that you love one another as i have loved you and that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so the text here uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus is addressing his disciples regarding his departure from the world. He says something new that, he, that hasn't been said before. He says, I give you a new commandment. He's, this, this commandment is imperative. It's not something that's optional. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is the the dead giveaway that we're that we're servants of Christ, that we love one another. So looking at this, he says we this is something we must follow. He says that word therefore for love in verse 
34 there is agapao, which is the Greek word for love. It means to have strong affection for or to love. That is to uh, to do good or to wish well to do for. So in that, in that love that we wish well for one another, that we do well towards one another. Um, so that's the demonstration there. He says that you love one another, that you do well to one another and strong affection. Again, this definition of love that we've talked about so many times is not as the world views love, views love which is a very different kind of love. The world's love is more of a touchy-feely, carnal love. But the love of God that we're talking about here is something far more deep and affectionate because we have tender care for one another in Christ. The word there in verse 35 is still a similar derivative of that word. It's agape, or agape. That denotes a love that comes from God affection or benevolence this showing or demonstrating love that comes from us towards one another comes from God who is the author of this love so no other way that this love can be demonstrated but in in the Lord this was demonstrated especially through his son, which provided a sacrifice for here, which he's talking about. He's going to going to depart from them. And he's teaching his disciples that they should show this love, not as the world does, but as it is derived from God through Christ. First John chapter two. The next place we'll turn in line with this passage of Scripture. And I apologize, I'm reading out of the New King James Version this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse. Starting in verse 1 there, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Brethren, I write no, no new commandment to you, but an old one which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word of which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which is the thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is the light in the light and hates his brother is darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, 
and there is no cause for him for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here in 1 John chapter 2, he says, uses that same word there, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, but, he, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. It's the same word um, as agape. So he says, there must be, <clears throat> excuse me, that same word agape from John thirteen thirty five. So as we've talked in the past about the intimacy uh, mentioned in the word know, when you say you know someone, he says, I, I know him. It's talking about in a spiritual sense, we intimately should know God. We talk about this in sense of marriage between a man and wife. We intimately know one another. We know the deeper inner workings of what's expected between one another. Same thing with this know that's mentioned here. It's talking about knowing someone intimately. We know the deeper workings, the inner workings of God, what he requires of us, what our relationship is to be with him. This demotes an intimate relationship with God in Christ as we abide in covenant. And we obey the commandments out of love for the Lord. So John here is noting that our test is this, that we say we know him and what, we keep not his word? What is it? He says, person is a liar. He says, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So I guess it's kind of a, of, of a litmus test. That's what he's talking about here. So this is the proof if we love the Lord. That we keep his commandments. Does that sound sort of familiar to what we were reading back over in 1 John? Or John chapter 13? What Jesus was talking about there, he says, I give to you a new commandment. You must follow this. Not in so many words, but he says, you must follow this. So he talks about the proof, that proof there over in the latter verses over there in, in verse nine. He says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So that light comes from what? doesn't come from us. It comes from being in Christ, doesn't it? And if we're following his commandments and loving the Lord as we should, walking intimately, doing those things which he, which he commands of his, his disciples, his servants then that proof is the light that shines in us. Brother Wayne talks about always being the, good morning, talks about being 
uh, a light in this community. Well, the light in this community is uh, is Christ shining shining from us as we follow His will and, and obey Him. Sister Rona, we're in First John chapter two, over around verse nine through eleven. Same thing is mentioned over there uh, in the same chapter of First uh, John. In verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So again, I know we, we skipped over a few verses there, but uh, the thought and the intent behind those passages, this passage here is still the same. The concern is, uh, with this is that we've seen in the scripture, those who seek to subvert faith by putting brethren under the Old Testament law, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. It mentions the example of what happens if we don't love the Lord. We're not following after his commandments. Some of these Jewish Jewish brethren over there were misled and wanted to hold to the old teachings as Paul was trying to instruct them and teach them that this was not something they should keep hold of. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Um, and if anybody has any questions, they can always ask. Uh, I, I encourage encourage you to ask questions. And uh, so Galatians chapter five and verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. With which whom are Christ have uh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Again, he's talking about there, he says, walk in, walk in the Spirit there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 19 there. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he goes on to list those. Why do you think it was important that he teach them about these things? The importance of him teaching them regarding what the differences of of the flesh and the spirit are. It's because they have two very different outcomes, don't they? Two very different mindsets. When we talk about the flesh, we talk about being selfish and conceited and those things which you talk about, anger, envy. Those things shouldn't be named among us. Of course, we are flesh and blood, so as we... I hope we would be praying that the Lord would, would show us how we should act and what we should do and to put away these things which we practiced formerly before we served the Lord.
He says in verse 16, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the purpose of that was putting away those things and he was talking about through these epistles that these brethren not get caught up in the former practice of the Old Testament law. But in Christ, we have access to these things and talks about the fruits of, of what it is to serve the Lord and these things are the fruits thereof, the fruits of the Spirit that he mentioned there. And the things that he mentioned of the flesh are the, quite the opposite. He said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's look at Galatians. Bear with me just a moment. One of the things that I, I had noted in my in in the scripture, um, which I'm having trouble finding it. I wrote it down. I must have wrote it down incorrectly. Let's see here. Was talking about Abraham and talking about. The promise did not come through his handmaid's uh, son, whom he had just prior to having having a son with Sarah. He said that that wasn't the promised child. The promised child was the one that through whom he and Sarah had together. And the love of the Lord wasn't in Hagar and Ishmael. They were bitter once that happened, once they were tossed out. And the fruits of that showed very plainly. It seemed that even though Hagar served them, she didn't seem to have, she seemed to have a, a bit of bitter jealousy spring up, which is not the love that the Lord talks about. It's not the of the lineage of Abraham and the love that they had for the Lord. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll go to the next piece there. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Looks like our visitors, Kathy and Fred, are here with us coming in now. So, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. <clears throat> he says there, oh, turn to that page. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder you and whatsoever, <clears throat> excuse me, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that those who is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if I bring to you, bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Good morning. 
And assuredly I say unto you, you will all, by all means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. So here he is through Matthew speaking, uh, or just as Jesus speaking here in this account in Matthew, instruction was very clear. He said, if you have something against your brother, what do you say? He said, first go and restore your relationship with your brother. Why? Because that's what a good and faithful servant would do. He's talking about murder and judgment and being called rebels there. That word raka is, is the word for rebel. And he says, one who says you fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Why? Because that's not how the Lord does these things. That's not the order that with which the Lord has set forth that we should work. But his instruction there is very clear how we ought to um, resolve things amongst ourselves. The this again is an imperative thing that we must first go and restore what is uh, broken in that relationship out of love and obedience towards the Lord and a love for his people. Without doing such thing, it runs the risk of trotting underfoot the blood of Christ who was our sacrifice. And aren't we to walk like we talked about over in John chapter 13? Love as he has loved us. I know I'm paraphrasing there. So for us, this function is right that to seek reconciliation through love. He says what? Lest we be judged there. That's what he's talking about. He says, we. while you're on the way, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, you be thrown in prison. And surely you will, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there Till you pay the last penny. Just as a father disciplines his children, right? He loves them. He wants them to do good. He wants them to do what he would ask of them. So that's what the Lord asks of us. Lest we cause what? Our brother to be in danger. Let's look at first John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3 and then we'll we're almost we're almost to end this I'm going over this morning we got started late so 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 Actually, we'll read verses 10, uh, start back up there to verse 10. It says, In this the children of God and the children of, de of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he of those who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who has, was wicked, the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his works were evil and his brother is righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer, 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It says, in this you know, love, because he laid down his life for us, so also we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let not us love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of, of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he had gave us commandment. So again, in this last, this most recent passage we're reading here, words are echoed still the same. We read over Matthew chapter 5 about uh, murder and, and towards your brother and the way we feel to, towards one another. If we've got problems, that we should set those things right. Else we'd be accounted as murderers. Our responsibility in the body of Christ is towards one another. Not towards ourselves, but we're accountable to each other in Christ and we're accountable to the Lord. So if we're truly walking and fasting our lives in the love that the Lord had for, for us, we should be walking in the same way. That's how others know who we are. He did say that after all over in John chapter 13. James chapter 2, it's the last place we'll turn. James chapter 2. Morning. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of them says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith with your works. And I will show you your faith by, what, by my works. You believe that there is one God and you do do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that the faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that the faith was working together with his works and by his works faith was made perfect? And the scriptures were fulfilled with this saying, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he has called the, he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works <clears throat> and not by faith only. Likewise not did Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works is dead also. So how are we known to other men? It's our faith being demonstrated, our faith and our works together. 
said faith is an action. If we believe, then we'll be doing these things which the Lord tells us to do. Of course, in the scripture, he says, if you love me, you'll do these things. You'll keep my commandments. So just like we talked over in John chapter 13 in our in our opening text this morning for Sunday school, same thing he said there. You must, in order for them to do this, you must follow me. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35 said the same thing. He says, they'll know you by this. They'll know that you're disciples of me by this. So, how do others know that? By obeying the commands which the Lord gives us and demonstrating the same love toward one another. For those of you who didn't get to hear it this morning, the word we looked at was in verse 34 and 35 of John chapter 13. The words there translated in the Greek are talk about strong affection or love for, to do good for. And that love is an intimate knowing of the ways of the Lord. So when we submit to the Lord and we enter into the assembly through baptism, those things are the things that we should put aside the things of the flesh and put those things on which God has called us to do obediently through faith. That way others will know that we are disciples of Jesus. That's all I have for you this morning. Um, We'll take a short break. And we'll come back in about five minutes for the rest of the morning service. Get all the technology rolling up here. If you will, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. We're continuing our series of messages from Brother Paul here to the church at Corinth. Second Corinthians chapter nine is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, open our opening text, verse one. There it says now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal was stirred up in the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in respect that I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we should not be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not of grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, and that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. So I'll stop there. So Brother Paul, in this particular passage of Scripture, was writing again to the church at Corinth. 
regarding uh, the administering of gifts. Over in the 8th chapter, he had talked previously about collections and talked about the giving of gift and the pattern of, of things from, of, from Christ. And so it would be natural that we, with the collecting of such things, that we administer those things. And he said there, I, I would rather that you go ahead and do these things now rather than later, lest you not be prepared or lest you not do this thing. So he's talking about the giving of gifts, which is a practice that's not uncommon among us. Um, we particularly give love offerings to those that are in need or provide food to those who are uh, in need of these of. You know, they've had a death in the family or uh, like we've talked about, or they are just going through a difficult time, whether they've had a surgery and they're just not able to provide for themselves as they would in normal circumstances. But part of that is, is the generosity of, of the church, the generosity of its members as well. So he talks about they've made a pledge to give this gift. And he says, we've boasted that you're going to, you're readily willing to do this thing. He says, so, he says, when you pledge something, he says, provide for it sooner rather than later, lest you not fulfill that promise. So the concern is, is the same for us. This writing about the administering of gifts. Same thing for us is that we provide and we help one another, Lord, especially in the difficult times that we have. Uh, this is not a message talking about tithing or things like that, but those things are part of our service. But the importance of this passage is that we're taking care of the needs and the necessities of, of, the, of the brethren, which is an important thing. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. The providing of, uh, for needs amongst ourselves is important. It kind of goes hand in hand with what we talked a little bit about this morning and uh, how do those? How do people know that we have uh, that we are the disciples of Christ? But yet we we show the same care and concern that Christ did for for those that He took care of. Deuteronomy chapter fifteen. Verse seven is where we'll start. He says, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the city uh, the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your hearts nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you also shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend of him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be any wicked thought in, you, in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand in your eye and be evil against you your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should be not grieved when you give to him because of this thing. The Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you have put, uh, you put your hand. Excuse me, I can't speak this morning apparently. It says, For the poor net will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, and to your poor and your needy in your land. So here in this particular one, it echoes the sentiments that we read over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 of providing uh, and caring for our brethren. It talks about here 
the poor man in the nation, he says, he won't cease to exist. So why, why should we have to care for, for those that are poor or less fortunate? Well, because that's part of what Jesus did, wasn't it? He cared for those. He provided for those. Um, I think, for, for example, he provided for those that needed food in the wilderness. It wasn't that he just wanted, he, he demonstrated a miracle that he was able to provide for them, but that he, he had provision for them that they would follow after him and seek him. Why? Because he was the one son of the one true living God. And what was it the Lord did? He provides for his people. And the same thing, if we are disciples of, of, of the Lord, we're following after him, we should follow this, our pattern ourselves after the same thing. So demonstrating that same care and love for one another. But he goes on over there in Deuteronomy, he says, but in the time of, of the seventh year, he says, the year of release, he says, your eyes be evil, uh, evil against your poor brother and you have, uh, give him nothing and he cried against you it becomes sin among you. So turning a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to, to the need of, of those of, of, of the church or those of the Lord's people, it's a pretty grievous thing. We're, we're not supplying the need. We're not caring for one another as we should. There are those that do take advantage. And I believe it's pretty prevalent that there may know, but that's not our job to choose that. We are to, to take care of one another. And it may not be a monetary thing. It could be of our time. It could be of any of those resources which the Lord gives us. But to have the caring concern for one another. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And verse 8. He says, there, he who exhorts in his exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence and with uh, leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let your love be without hypocrisy, arbor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, giving and hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on things high, high things, but associate with the humble. Be not wise in your own opinion. Repay not evil for evil. He Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. So again, in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about serving God and using your spiritual gifts that you're given. Sometimes that is for us to give of our time, sometimes of our resources. Not to pick on uh, uh, Brother Dennis, but Brother Dennis, I had a need and I needed something moved. I don't have a big enough vehicle to move those things. I was talking to, to Joe about it, and he goes, well, I'll help you with it. If I hadn't had the help of Brother, Brother Dennis, then 
I probably wouldn't have gotten those things moved as easily. And to which I'm very appreciative because that that demonstrates just the, the care that we have for one another and helping one another out. Same thing we think about if someone has a need with getting something completed or something they're having trouble with and you know about it, we should use our resources to help them, our knowledge and our wisdom the Lord gives us. And maybe it might be an opportunity to encourage one another in our service to the Lord. Because just like the rest of this, we don't just come to serve the Lord on Sunday or whenever we meet. Our service to the Lord is 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. <coughs> this is something I feel that we, we do pretty well here at Banner. And I see generally amongst those that we fellowship with, we see that same mentality, that they have the same care for one another, that, that somebody needs something, they're there. Let's look at Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. In verse 24. It says, turn over one more page. It says, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more that is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he, will, he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him and who withholds grains, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. <clears throat> so, these few short passages of Scripture that we read here in Proverbs chapter 11 talks about what? It mentions the same thing about wealth and, prov- and provision. He says, the one who scatters yet increases more. When you think about farming, we live in a fairly agrarian area, don't we? We see a lot of fields and farming. Most of you have done farming at some point in your life. So when you scatter seed... You scatter it abroad, right? You hope it takes root. Well, you don't just hope that it does. You typically tend the soil. You take care of it. You tend it. And it provides increase, right? We can't do anything beyond just trying to tend the soil, right? The Lord is the one that causes it to grow. Scripture talks about Paul and Apollos. One watered and what? What what do you say? One waters and the other one does what? Yep. Yep. So it wasn't that either one of them, they, all, they both had a function, but it was the Lord that provided, provides for the increase there. So we're to do the work. He says, there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. We know that if we manage our money, uh, mismanage our money financially in this world, we, we're poor, aren't we? There are some, he says over there, like he said in the previous scripture, that they're always going to be poor. So it, we are to be good stewards of our resources and take care of one another. He goes on there and he says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. I think I've heard this said before, and I think I know I've said it, but 
in our service to the Lord, nothing is ours. The Lord's provided all of that. So it's not for us to choose what we withhold and what we don't, but we're to use, use and provide what he has given us freely. And the Lord takes care of us in return. Why? Because we placed our trust in him. He says, there the people will curse him who withholds grain, but a blessing will be on him who sells it. What was it that the, that the writer here in Proverbs was trying to accomplish? He's trying to tell him, we, we are to use what is given to us and we're to do these things willingly because we have been, uh, we serve at the pleasure of the Lord. I've always, at one, at one point in time, somebody offered me some help and uh, and money regarding something I was having difficulty with. I was a lot younger. And I told them, no, no, I don't want it. I, I'll be fine. And the one thing he told me that kind of stuck with me to this day is he says, don't deprive me of this blessing. And that just kind of made me hang my head and think, oh my gosh, that was just, I was being kind of rude about it. And he says, don't deprive me of this blessing. He says, I'm trying to help you because I see a need here. He said, just let me help you. So finally I relented. And out of that that whole ordeal and everything was going on, I found a very good friend and brother there um, who, who to this day is still uh, a very good help to me if I have a question or I have a concern. Um, so... You never know out of these situations what kind of what's going to come out of that. But the Lord knows. Let's look at Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Nineteen and verse seventeen. He says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. So he has pity. He who has compassion on the poor lends to the Lord. Because why? You think Jesus held back anything to anyone that he was he was coming into contact with? No. When those lepers and the man at the pool, any of those that he come into contact with, when they believed that they could heal him, what happened? He healed them, didn't he? Why? Because just as authority was given to him from God, it wasn't his to hold back. He was to do as, as the Lord had asked him to. And he was a servant. The same thing with us. We are servants of the Lord, and it's not ours to say yes or no to but we follow the Lord's guidance on those things. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Just a few short verses here, beginning in verse 14. Reading down through verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for our necessity. 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have of all an abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God, and to my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul here was writing to the church at Philippi, speaking about the gifts that the church at Philippi had sent. He said, Nevertheless, you have done well in my, and to share in my distress. He said, you only. He says, no other church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. It was They knew it was a necessity. He says, and you've provided well for us. He says, not that I seek the gift, but he said, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. Why? Because of the generosity of these fellow servants of the Lord, they provided a way for Paul to, to be able to continue his ministry there. And Paul, over in several occasions, said, I'm not using this for an opportunity to defraud others, but it's for the work of the Lord. So the, the necessity that we read over there in, in 2 Corinthians was just to provide provisions so they could make ends meet or in their difficulties that they could make it through the adversity. But they didn't do it just because they wanted to be seen by others. They did it because they had a love for the Lord and for his people. It wasn't just to be noticed by men. The scripture says in another place, he talks about those that give it to be seen by men, they receive their reward in full. So be careful. Be careful how we conduct ourselves and how we do these things. That's the, the admission I see in this as well. Paul stated that this was an acceptable sacrifice unto God. It wasn't that that uh, it wasn't wasn't needed. It was something that was very well needed, but the Lord saw that they had given this thing, and Paul's like, yes, it's, this is accepted the Lord. So we're, we're entrusted with the things the Lord provides for us. It's, of course, it's provisioned by the Lord. Whether it be finances or our lives, sacrifices that we need to make in His service, that's, that's just what we do as servants. Look at Psalm uh, 23. Psalm 23. Familiar passages of Scripture. Typically used at, at funerals, but it has a far deeper context here that we read. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, shall fear, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this particular passage of scripture 
does what? It talks about the Lord providing and sustaining his people. We know that the psalmist David here was writing about God's provision for him. What is a shepherd? He says, the Lord shepherds his people. The Lord is my shepherd. We've talked about shepherds in a, a couple months ago and what their role was. They tended the sheep. They made sure they were fed. They were watered. They kept them safe from harm. What did the sheep need to do? They needed to abide under the protection of the shepherd, didn't they? As long as they were there under the protection of the shepherd, they were good. But if they left, guess what? They didn't have the protection with, that the rest of the herd had, did they? Or the rest of the flock, I guess I should say. So David here is talking about the Lord's provision and him providing for him. And when he needed aid, he restored his soul. And he led him in the paths of righteousness. He led him the way he should walk. And even when he was under threat of death or pursued, he, what? He didn't have any fear there. The Lord provided the correction. He provided the discipline that he needed. And he provided the support that he needed when he needed it. And then he goes on and particularly he paints a picture of them being at a table before his enemies. And the Lord has provided his anointing over him, his protection. This is my chosen person. This is whom I've chosen to be king over Israel. And even despite his enemies being in his presence, he still had an established seat. And the Lord provided for him. He says, my cup runs over. I, I have, a, have what I need. And he says there, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He acknowledges that this only happens in, in, in the Lord, the Lord's house. So then again, he think as a servant of God, when we're in his service, he provides all that we need. So we're just vessels to do his service. Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Verses 5, starting in verse 5, just five verses there. It says, A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance, and he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, and he won't not be afraid until he seizes desires upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad, and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved, and he will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desires of the wicked shall perish. So what is it? Those that seek after the righteousness of God, what? Have provision. He says he deals graciously in it. He does what he's supposed to in service. And he has no fear of evil. He has trust in the Lord, and the Lord establishes what it is that he's supposed to do. And he takes care of the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
that's the hope of the of of us trusting in the Lord and administering the gifts that He gives us to do uh, to administer. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter eight again. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Verse 13 through 15. He says, Therefore I do not mean that others should be eased or, or, and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, and that there may be equality. As it is written, He who has gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. What do you think the importance of this particular passage of Scripture is? He says, yeah, you're to ease the burden of, of those that, that, don't, that don't have what they need. And vice versa, he says, you provide, you'll have nothing. So they provide and what they have. You sustain one another. As the Lord has so reckoned it to be. He goes on there and he says, that back and forth, that provision and their lack. He says, there may be a quality that you may have what you need. So the reference is into caring and providing the needs of those around us. The expected outcome in the service of the Lord is that we have all that we need. All that he asks of us to do is to just follow Follow him and share what we have and encourage one another. That's, that's what he asks of us in his service. The final place we'll turn is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then for nothing good, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set upon a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, a, but on a lampstand, and it giveth the light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may see that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do you think it was important that he didn't encourage the encouragement of that there? Jesus mentions that the, his disciples are salt. What is salt? Salt is a, an enhancer. It provides flavor for food that would otherwise be either tasteless or not, <coughs> not be palatable. But it makes food, items, or meals more acceptable to those whom to those whom it is served to. Jesus uses this metaphor here about our service. We no longer have or in his service we, we become tasteless, we become not palatable. But if we continue to fulfill our, 
our service, what we're supposed to do. We provide the need of those that we're committed to support. Lending in our service, being a good representative of Christ as we should. This is displayed before all men. He's talking about salt and he talks about the light there. That we have Christ in us, which is the light, which as we fashion our lives after his example, then we will provide this light to others. And it is displayed. He said we don't put it under, we shouldn't put it under a basket, but set it on a lampstand so it can shine for proof to all men. And this is the proof that Christ is in us. So we have the things that we have in our possession because they're provided of us by the Lord. What is it that he asks of us? He asks that we do so and minister to others willingly. Not just to each other, but to those in need that are around us. Because that's what we're asked to do in his service. That's exactly what he did for his father. Why would it be any different for us?